Bilingual in America. Tunei el loga fi America. Bilinguismo negli Stati Uniti. Bilingue in America. Ser bilingue en America. I'm Suzanne Lasser. I'm Yarina Sencion, and this is Bilingual in America. Hi, I'm Suzanne Lasser. Today on Bilingual in America, Yarina Sencion explores the world of transracial and transnational adoption. November is National Adoption Awareness Month. And if you're considering adoption, an important issue you'll face is whether you're interested in adopting a child whose race, ethnic background, or culture is different than yours. Many prospective adoptive parents are open to creating a multiracial, multi-ethnic, and multicultural family. Heather Stangolini shares her testimony with Yarina Sencion about family, commitment, trauma, and love on the cross-cultural adoption path. Let's listen in. Welcome, Heather. It's so wonderful to have you here in Bilingual in America. I, uh, I've known you for so long, and uh, I never had the opportunity to have this conversation with you, so I'm really excited. I'm glad to be here. Heather, how is it that you decided to adopt three girls outside of your culture? Well, uh, I guess that starts with our conversation of adoption in general. My husband and I knew that we were going to be adopting. We figured that that was how we were going to start our family. We weren't positive, um, but when we found ourselves ready, we went to a local social services office and we sat down and we listened to their presentation. And at the end they said, okay, so you can put yourself on one of three lists. And the lists were divided white children, black children, Latina ch children. That was it. And you could only pick one list. And I asked the question, can we be on more than one list? You know, the first child available. No, you have to pick a list. And that was challenging. We didn't, we thought we might make the wrong decision. <laughs> and we wanted to be parents. Um, well, we kind of shelved the idea for a little while because it just didn't feel right. Um, I was working in adoption around that same time for uh, recruiting families to adopt older children and training families. And we kind of knew that older kids were not for us just yet. We were still in our 20s. We'd been married several years and we kind of put that to the side. We weren't ready to adopt older children. And one day I said to my husband, what would you say about international adoptions? I met somebody at work and she was going to China to adopt her daughter. And I said, what, what do you think about that? And he said, I'm for it. Let's look into it. So that day I went online. I uh, requested information from three different agencies. I was choosing Christian agencies and they sent me their packets. And the one that we, we liked the agency first, the agency we liked, we picked only dealt with three countries, um, China, Ukraine, and Russia. And so, Anyway, we went, we would pick a child that was outside of our culture. But if we went with China or Ukraine, they would be white. My husband and I are both Caucasian. Uh, he's Italian, I'm Irish. And that could have been an option, but we really just looked at um, China, 
we knew the one child policy left a lot of children orphans, specifically girls, because of their gender. And they were abandoned by and large. And we just felt drawn to, to adopt from China. Uh, I thought our families might have a, tr a little bit of trouble with that. But by the time we decided that we wanted to adopt, we'd been married about nine years and our families were like, that's great. <laughs> Where are yeah. they from? So we just started the process and we adopted our first daughter in 2005. She was a year old. And the minute we had her with us for the first time and put her down in her crib, we knew we were coming back again. She was going to have a sister. And we repeated the journey uh, two more times. We adopted a younger sister. Um, she was two years old almost when we adopted her. And then we went back two years later and adopted an older sister um, who's 12 at the time. And it really wasn't, it, I feel like it's, it's terrible to say it wasn't a big deal, but it wasn't a big deal for us to adopt them Asian. Uh, although I will say when we went to adopt the third time around, uh, our agency said, you know, it's getting harder to adopt from China unless you choose a child with special needs. And we had done that two times. Well, the, the second time we adopted a child with special needs. And they said, you know, if you would like to go and look at Ethiopia, um, that is a new option in the country we're working with, and you might be able to adopt quicker. And I said to my husband, I have no problem with that. But if we adopt from Ethiopia, our third child, we have to go back and adopt again, because I don't think that it's fair to have one child in the family from Ethiopia who looks like them and the other children from China. I said, we would have to have another child in the family to kind of balance things out for them. I said, I just, I think that would be really hard for a child to not look at their family and see anybody who looked like them. And ultimately we went back to China and we adopted another child with special needs. I mean, as it happens, our second daughter, who you know, um, and has special needs, her special needs mean that um, nobody really looks at her and sees that she is Chinese. And she has had a hard time with that because she has albinism. And so her coloring kind of erase for other people the features that she has as, as being Chinese. So that's caused some interesting questions along the way that people will assume she's my biological daughter because she's uh, very fair skinned and white hair. And strangers will often, well, they don't do it as much anymore, but when she was young, they would say, oh, you have uh, two daughters, one of your own and one, one adopted. <laughs> and it, that would just stop me in my tracks. They're, they're both my own, they're both adopted. And she didn't really understand what was happening. So as she's gotten older, you know, we, we've shut down those questions pretty quickly when people say things like that. But we've even had some people who are Chinese not recognize that she's Chinese and, and try to dispute it. But, um, but she's, you know, <laughs> she feels Chinese through and through. Yeah, but that's pretty much, I mean, yeah. we, got, we got to China and, you know, we dove in. We, I've been there four times now. <laughs> mm -hmm. How wonderful. And so, you know, uh, actually that last comment that you made about, you know, she is Chinese through and through. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you encourage and support that the girls stay connected to their first culture, right? Because now, now they're, they're Chinese American, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they definitely, we, we have found that they are in a, a culture within a culture. 
we joined uh, Families with Children from China, an organization that is really built uh, for families like us uh, to expose the families, the kids and the adults, to a Chinese culture they might not normally have just inborn in their family. So they would have holiday specials that we would participate in and the girls would get dressed up in Chinese dresses. We'd spend Chinese New Year holidays with them, uh, Lunar New Year. Often the the local FCC would combine with an organization, I think it's called Evergreen, which is um, older Chinese adults. And that was a great opportunity for the girls to meet some women specifically who grew up in China and could tell them all about school and what that was like in China and the games they used to play and foods they used to eat. And so that was a really interesting experience. Um, they had story time with these Chinese grandmas and they got to experience a little bit of what it might be like to have a Chinese grandma. So we would do that. We, uh, I'm not a huge fan of Chinese food. My entire family, my husband loves Chinese food. My girls love Chinese food, but that is their go-to. And so there was a local restaurant that sadly has closed since uh, COVID that we spent pretty much all of our holiday meals. Any of the Chinese holidays, Chinese New Year, we were there every time. We were there for graduations, birthdays. It, it was like a second home for the girls. We became friends with the owner and she just loved our girls. The minute we brought them in, it was the first place that we took them when we came home from China. And she would spoil them with different foods. And our oldest daughter, um, she was 12 when she came home. She, May, the owner, was always trying to find just the right dish that she might like. And she, she knew where she was from. And she would talk to her in Chinese. And she would try to figure out what sweet treat she might like that was from her region. And so that was really wonderful. I mean, eating there has really expanded everybody's palace actually because my mom my mom I think I got my dislike of Chinese food from her we we love bows even though we weren't really it wasn't our go-to food and my mom said I just she said that's the only Chinese restaurant I will eat in but the atmosphere was welcoming they had somebody to practice Chinese with it was like a family being there and and we've kept up with other families that we've adopted with I tried to keep as much as we can in touch with those families. We do reunions from time to time because the culture within a culture for our girls makes it a little unique. They're not going to have the same experience as the, a Chinese girl who lived next door or grew up with Chinese biological parents. They're not gonna have that same experience. And yet they still get a chance to spend time with kids who, who are from Asian families biologically, mostly because we chose to keep our girls in public school. and. We're very happy that the district that we live in is very diverse. And my, our first daughter, she, she's in an honor string ensemble at the high school. And we're waiting for her to come out one night from her practice. And my oldest daughter is looking and it's dark and she sees somebody coming out and she thinks it's her sister. And I look and I said, no, no, that's not her. That's another girl who's Asian with the long dark ponytail and glasses. And then another girl comes out. I think five or six girls came out that she thought was her sister before sister came out. So my daughter gets in the car and I said, you have a lot of Asian girls in your honor string ensemble. She's like, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, and they're, they're not all Chinese. They're Korean, they're Chinese, they're Japanese, they're a mix. Um, so it's, it's been really neat to see that she has that 
little community um, that she can kind of touch base with and feel comfortable with. So by having friends that are Asian, that's helped. But we had to kind of help it along when they were younger. And uh, we don't do as many things with FCC anymore. But um, there was a there was a group that one of my daughters was in for a little while and the moms and the daughters would plan, we would take turns planning an event for the kids to get together. And the one that we chose, we took the kids to Bows and we had everybody learn how to make dumplings and then they cooked the dumplings for the girls and then they ate the dumplings there. And so that was great. And we definitely, they cook Chinese food at home. My husband cooks it. When our second daughter came home, she wasn't eating a lot. She was also not drinking. So we had to feed her. Everything was kind of liquidy to get any liquids into her. So one of the things she ate a lot in China was congee. And so my husband went to some of the local markets that sold congee. They only sell it maybe once or twice a week. So we had to figure out which days those were. And we tried out different congees. They were sweet. They were savory. We were just having a hard time finding out which one she would like and which she would keep down. So finally he said, I give up. I'm just going to learn how to make it. And he learned how to make a tilapia kanji that she loved. So he would make a big batch of it twice a week. And then we would just reheat it. And we're like, this is how we're going to learn. You know, this is what her palate is, her two-year-old palate. This is what she'll eat. So Chinese food is, is made at home. It's eaten out at restaurants. We brought home a lot of Chinese artwork from our trips. And, and two of our girls have had the opportunity to go back to China on mission trips. And I think that they were older and that helped a little bit of just seeing what China was like through older eyes. And, you know, once they, we had two of them in language classes in elementary school, after school language program, uh, just Chinese. And the, the youngest actually, the one who has albinism, she has a very good ear for languages and accents and she took to the Chinese beautifully. She couldn't see the, the characters too well because she's legally blind, but her teachers would say, she sounds Chinese. She sounds beautiful. And then when they got to sixth grade, they took Chinese in school. So, you know, we were definitely, we're all for that. We knew that that was going to be the case, that they were going to take Chinese. So when we looked at the elementary schools and the dual language program was an option, it wasn't really going to be an option for us because we knew that it was going to be Chinese for them. But we've always encouraged that. And then when they were on their mission trips, they both got to use some of the Chinese that they knew. And our first daughter, she went on the mission trip in 2015 with me. And she was so pleased to be able to use her Chinese to ask some of the nannies who spoke no English, how old some of the children were and uh, what their names were and little things that they liked. And she was just so happy that she could use that language that she learned in the country she was born in. And they understood her and she was able, it was a very small conversation that she was able to have with each person. But I was just so proud of her that, because I wasn't sure how confident she would feel using it. But she, she did great, and, um, and I'm so glad that they had the opportunity to learn Mandarin in our schools. Yeah, how affirming for her. So, you know, Heather, I wanted to ask you, so for a family who, who maybe 
really wants to adopt and and this is an option in their life what would you say to them you know to alleviate any concerns or fears that they might have about about the process and about about you know marrying two cultures together yeah i i mean i think we learned we did a lot of or at least i i will speak for myself i did a lot of preparation about adoption about you know it was, it was two cultures but it was also just knowing that there's a loss involved in in adoption that you know, there's these great days. We, we think about the day that we met our children and it was a wonderful day. It was bittersweet though, because you knew that there was still a loss that was involved in creating that family. And we did a lot of work beforehand just to kind of understand that as much as we best we could before we had one child. And then we knew it a little bit better when we went on to the second and the third, but there's loss and and I read so much. I, I read, I read in forums online. I was reading books. I was just trying to educate myself so that I could figure out how to be the best parent of a child that was not, not just from, from me biologically, but from my culture. And there was a lot written by adults who were adopted, Korean adults who were adopted as children. They laid the groundwork for what everybody did wrong and what we need to do right. And I try to learn as much as I could from that community, you know, what we needed to say, what we needed to not say, um, how we needed to listen, um, just, just to prepare myself. And I think going in with our eyes as, as opened as they could be and bracing ourselves for dealing with trauma, because, you know, what we've learned over the time is that there's going to be trauma. Does it maybe look the same? It might not be, it might not come out in anger or however we might think trauma is going to come out. It might not be nightmares or, or things like that. Um, but there's still going to be a scar and that that's kind of to, to be able to accept that that's going to be there. And we have to figure out how we can address it and how we can help that child and help them grow and learn and feel okay about having that scar and you know how we can help them live with it I don't know I think I didn't maybe see the scar as much with the younger kids until they were a little older and you know there's hurt there that comes out in unexpected places but as long as as I'm providing a safe space to talk about it and I'm open about talking about adoption birth family culture. I mean, we, we're as honest as we can be. So every time trying to change their program from a one child policy to then a two child policy, I was the first one who told them I didn't want them to hear it from somebody else. And I wanted to be able to have a, a honest conversation, which brought up a lot of things. Maybe I wouldn't have been abandoned if there was a two child policy when I was born. Maybe I wouldn't have been abandoned if the policy wasn't there because I have a special need. That's probably why they abandoned me. You know, those are tough conversations to have, but we, we try to make sure that they know it's where we're the place that you ask those questions. Mom and dad, we're a safe place. Only one of my daughters really talks about birth family and she has a longing to know the birth family. 
and she she talks about her dreams of what she will say and what she will do when she meets them and she's confident that that's going to happen someday so we talk about it and and she knows because i've made it very clear to her that it doesn't hurt my feelings and it's my feelings shouldn't even matter in this case but that i'm open about it and that i have often thought about her birth family too mm. we definitely we think of them definitely at significant moments in their lives. Excuse me, I'm getting a little choked up, but. Of course. You know, we had the days that our girls were abandoned, the days that they were found. And they are, in only one case was it listed as the same day as the child's birthday. And we don't know for sure if the birthdays are their birthdays. And one of our daughters has pointed that out. How do we know that's my birthday? We don't. We can maybe estimate that it's within the same week, but we don't know for sure. So on the days that they were abandoned, those days, I definitely think of those, those families and, and hope that there's some sort of peace of mind that they can get in the universe about their children, because I don't think that anybody that, that abandoned their children at that time was making that decision. I don't think it was an easy decision. I don't think that that was a decision that was made lightly. Right. That maybe they didn't even make the decision on their own, that it might've been made for them by somebody else. And so I definitely think of them at those times near their birthdays. And then just, you know, my girls have just grown so tremendously in the time that we've been privileged to be their family. I just think of how beautiful they are and and how amazing they are and i wish there was some element of that there was some some way that they could know you know how amazing their daughters are and the other thing is we we don't really talk about china in a in a way that would make them think you know i came from a bad country we do talk about you know policies that we might not agree with but we don't ever characterize it as the Chinese people are doing this. Um, we've never done that. And I think it's allowed our daughters to, to have deeper questions about history and policies and governments and uh, censorship and all sorts of things. Um, but they've also been able to see the beautiful parts of their culture and the people they've been able to meet people in China that, you know, have regular jobs and, and are eating with their friends at, you know, fast food place and just, and being in the park. And so they see all of the similarities and I just, I wouldn't want them to think, you know, this is, a, they re we were rescued. I, cause that's not how we ever look at it. You know, we adopted them because we wanted a family and our family was only going to be made through adoption. And it was because of our desire to be parents. So that's how they ended in our family, but it wasn't a rescue, I think. You know, sometimes people think that that's how families who adopted from China are looking at it. Um, or they say you were lucky, the girls are lucky. And we always say, no, <laughs> it's us. We, we're lucky, we're blessed. We have this privilege that is amazing and wonderful. Um, they shouldn't feel gratitude simply because they were adopted, because there is loss there. You know, the youngest... She is Chinese through and through. And she also says, I'm Irish, Italian, and Chinese. And I'm like, okay, well, you know what? 
those are all the, the cultures that we celebrate in our family. They like Italian food as much as they like Chinese food. Maybe a little bit less, but, you know, they celebrate St. Patrick's Day and, you know, sing along with all the songs that we sing. And and they, <laughs> my youngest, she, we had a family get-together. There was a an open mic, and she's always up for the open mic. And she's always going to sing a song or tell a joke. And she was maybe three or four. And she sang, take me out to the ball game with my dad. So my dad says, now introduce yourself. And she introduces herself with her first name and her last name. She says, Corrigan, which is my maiden name. And a bunch of us just laugh. I'm in the back with my cousins. And one of my cousins looks at me and she said, why was that funny? I said, that's not her last name. <laughs> She's just really identifying with the group that's here. I was like, that's my last name. That's not her Italian last name. And she said, oh my gosh. She said, I, and she, she didn't have the same Corrigan name when she grew up, but her mom was a Corrigan. And she said, I think at some point we all just assumed that was our last name. So, you know, she just dives into that culture when she's there. When she was in second grade, I think I went into school to talk about China on Chinese New Year's Day. And we brought everything that we had, art, we brought uh, chopsticks, we brought jade, we, we brought Chinese books. And so we brought in money, we brought all th- sorts of things. And we talked about the Chinese zodiac and... And then the kids got to ask questions. And um, that, that girl was so happy. She was so happy, her mom. Her mom, who is a, an Irish woman, came in to talk about China. But she was so pleased. It just gave everybody a chance to talk about it. And she just loved it. I mean, we, we did have some Chinese books when they were young. I think there's still not as many as there needs to be, you know, for kids with depicting Chinese characters. But... Um, but we always try to surround them with as much as we could, Chinese books. I know my, my Rena was just um, interviewed and she was talking about uh, diversity a little bit and she said she didn't have a chance to read a lot of books by Chinese authors in school until high school. But at home she did. She, she was a big fan of Grace Lynn books and- um, Yes. And so she got that. And I think it's important that the girls have also seen me reading Chinese uh, authors, books by Chinese authors. One of my favorite authors is Amy Tan. And I don't want them to think we're Chinese, we're uh, part of our family culture is Chinese just, just for them. I want them to know that it's for all of us in the family. So yeah, I, I definitely, Lisa C, that's another uh, author I read you know, I want them to know that I'm embracing that. I don't always embrace the Chinese food, but <laughs> I embrace as, as much as I can of the culture so that they feel like it's it's part of the fabric of our home. Oh, awesome. So, um, Heather, you know, our hashtag at um, Bilingual in America is speak your beauty. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's so many ways that you speak your beauty and, and you're telling your story and your testimony, but if you had to pick you know, the main way, what, what, how do you speak your beauty day in and day out with these beautiful girls? I, I feel like a lot of it has to do with them, you know, trying to raise them to be kind and loving so that they can, you know, share that with their community and 
I mean, really a lot of, of where I live right now is with them, you know, helping shape them to be the young women that they're becoming so that they can go out there and change the world. And they're already doing it, which is amazing. And so I really, I definitely pour a lot of, of myself into them being good humans. Yes. And so, and then along the same lines, you know, I was just thinking, I know you said that, you know, in terms of language, that your youngest is definitely taken a liking to being bilingual and Chinese. Mm -hmm. But if you had to describe, because you're really bicultural, some bilingualism as they're figuring out the languages that they want to traverse in. But if you had to pick one word that describes, you know, all this diversity, or, or being bilingual or bicultural, what do you think that one word would be? Well, specifically with all of this in mind, I think for them and for me, it's connection. That word is connection. Um, the youngest, I mean, she brings it home for me the most. Um, she does want to learn a lot of languages, but uh, she wants to be able to communicate when she goes someday, that, that dream to meet her biological family, and she wants to be able to connect with them. But in the meantime, she wants to be able to connect with other people who uh, speak Chinese. And the reason we started going to Chinese classes after school was because our first daughter wanted to be able to connect with her new big sister, who's 12 years old, and she thought for sure would be speaking Chinese, and she wanted to have that relationship why they want to be bilingual is to have those connections to have that relationship um, how beautiful yeah. well heather i want to thank you for sharing your story and testimony your beautiful girls and your family and all the different ways that you embrace diversity into your family and make it be your family uh, it's just beautiful and i hope that this encourages someone to consider adoption out of a comfort zone and create the magic that you've created so thank you so much thank you i enjoyed this yes i appreciate you beautiful story in preparation for today's interview we learned that two percent of americans have adopted a child and that one in three children adopted is adopted by parents of another race as we think about all that is going on around the world, we shouldn't overlook the voices of adopted children. Whether we're talking about the Black Lives Matter movement, the border crisis, or human rights here and abroad, it's important because transracial and transnational adopted children have a unique perspective to share. And as we heard Heather share, she didn't rescue her children, she and her husband are truly the lucky ones. Family is all about love, no matter how it is built. Here on Bilingual America, we celebrate the joy, strength, and beauty of the bilingual experience. Today's episode just affirms the importance of how beautiful that experience can be when shared with those that you love. Until next time, speak your beauty. Thank you for your interest in the stories we share. 
by sharing, following, and liking our podcast on anchor.fm, Bilingual in America, and our Instagram blog at bilingualinamerica.podcast. You are speaking your beauty. We welcome your comments and feedback, and we appreciate your support. Follow us, like us, share us.